I mean, we, we initially started to do a little bit of a, a pre-show here making fun of Pete for being old, but um, now that we've had some tech difficulties, uh, it might just be fun to talk about podcasting tech difficulties for a second. I would like to point out that I, I showed you I wasn't old by immediately having tech difficulties <laughs> and being confused. Well, we didn't tell you about the time we had a we had a friend of mine on who didn't understand exactly how to use Audacity, and so the file that she ended up sending us was all three of the segments that we'd done recorded on top of each other. Oh, that's wonderful. That was a lot of fun to try to tease out. Sometimes I listen to podcasts at like faster speeds, but if you can listen to three audio tracks <laughs> at once, it can really increase your podcast intake efficiency. Oh I my found. god. Uh, it reminds uh. me of the uh, Air America when Al Franken was uh, doing the radio show and they decided to try to do, you know how uh, like news programs have the news crawl oh, going right. on at the bottom? And so they decided to have a news crawl going on the radio. Audio style? Yeah, so they're doing their show and there's just a guy like in the background just murmuring like the, the various headlines that were coming across the screen. <laughs> it was great. It's tough doing a podcast. Yeah, we're disrupting the news industry. Yeah, well, the news industry could use a little disruption. Yeah, no argument. Possibly a fire. <laughs> Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my extraordinary comrade and co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Hello, Brendan. Hello, I'm taking every precaution. Uh, I'm I'm podcasting while wearing a, a respirator. I hope you guys can still, can still hear me. I had to shave my beard. Uh, the CDC said can't have beards anymore. It's just not safe. Brendan's looking like Bane coming over the <laughs> the Skype video here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you're more intelligible to our audience than like Tom Hardy was in the Batman movie. Yeah, no, we should totally just yeah podcast uh, through through gas masks. That's going to be the future <laughs> right. of of all podcasting, <laughs> or of everything from the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that other voice you hear on the line is our special guest for this evening, a, a newcomer to Liquid Flannel, uh, the host of the the really excellent and fun um, science fiction commentary uh, podcast, Podside Picnic. We've got Pete Johansson from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello, Pete. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, this is great. Um, I've been a fan of your show for a, a good long time so it's great to get you on ours and maybe get you out of your out of your uh, sci-fi wheelhouse a little bit and talk about the truly bizarre reality that we live in I, yeah. i'll admit i'm over vampires just in time for vampires batman that's a shame <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah that's right i don't know i think i think pattinson could do a decent batman what do you guys think He's gonna be more. He's gonna be more entertaining than Christian Bale was. But then, like, I'm I'm on record as really not caring for the Christian Bale Batman films at all. I think he could do it. Will this movie be what he could do? I'm I'm not convinced. It does remind me though that Jared Leto is doing that like vampire Spider Man spinoff movie. That's gonna be wild know. for sure. I who's can't it, believe that's that, uh, gonna exist. 
Is it like Morbius? Yeah. Of all right. the people to get a movie. That's wow. Insane. Vampires. They're coming back. That's a character that's really going to get people to go and, <laughs> you know, buy tickets. Every Everybody loves that character. And Jared Leto. He's so popular. Well, I think you're really hitting on my, my concern here is that DC has consistently shit the bed for a, at least 12 years. And so, like, I don't care what the... Hey, hold on. Shazam was good. I like Shazam. Yeah, that's actually a good point. But that's that. That may be the exception. When the stakes are low, right? <laughs> they knock it out of the park. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's 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 winning at roulette. Like, what are the odds of of getting a good one if there's been one decent one? Uh, uh, maybe you could right. come up with another. But I'm just saying, it's been bad. I heard the uh, I heard the Aquaman one wasn't terrible. The the standalone to Aquaman. Yeah. I never. And saw Wonder it, Woman though. was good. I'm excited for Wonder Woman too. I think it could be fun. Kristen Wiig. I don't know, man. We're we're gonna get canceled from leftist circles if we uh, if we talk too much about how Wonder Woman was was actually okay. <laughs> Everybody hated that one because it was too like pro, you know, like hoorah war. But too pro, too pro World War One. Yeah. I I don't yeah <laughs> I don't know what else you want from a from a Wonder Woman movie though. I mean, just like a Captain America, it's always going to be uh, these characters were introduced as basically propaganda tools for the state. And in the case of Wonder Woman, also uh, people who are into bondage, um, which they really should have played up a little bit more. Yeah, maybe the sequel. You know, that's that's the time where they could right? finally, yeah. <laughs> they could finally yeah. loop that in. <laughs> I, I'd like to claim I wouldn't watch that, but God help me. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a whole a whole book about that one time. What was that guy's? Uh, William Moulton the Marsden or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, they made a movie about that dude, too. Yeah, they did. I, I think they made several. Actually, he was he was an interesting guy. Like, invented the first lie detector and also like the polycule. I think <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a real all the polys, the polygraph, the polycule. Right. <laughs> he was the original poly bro. Incredible polygrip. <laughs> po- polydent. Oh, oh, that's awesome. great. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm glad we have you on, though, because uh, you know, as an as an expert in uh, dystopian sci-fi, we need you to help us understand uh, the the current headline. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, usually dystopias are smarter, man. Like I, I've, I, I, I've, I have some concerns about interpreting what's going on because it's just. Uh, like it's embarrassing. Like I don't want to die this way because it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see Trump's uh, uh, flu emergency press conference? It was about as good as if you would have asked like a high school student to do like a report on coronavirus for like current events day. Yeah. Um, sure. It was just astounding. Web- Webster's Dictionary defines a virus as yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he literally was saying like, uh, "They were telling me like people die of the flu all the time." I was, I, I, it blew my mind. But apparently, that just is a thing that happens all the time. So I don't know why everybody's freaking out. Like that's he's literally saying that shit in the press conference. But he put Mike Pence in charge of it. In my lifetime, there has been one example of a virus that has gotten out of control in America due to pure governmental fuckery that killed a bunch of people, and that was in Indiana. Right. Yeah. Under Mike Pence. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to his new uh, Pray the Coronavirus Away initiative. 
I think I, no one's tried it. It's a bold new policy idea. If we just give it a shot, I'm sure it'll all work out. Yeah, yeah. They're, the they're going to start putting coronavirus victims into camps, but they're going to be conversion camps. <laughs> your your humors are unbalanced because you didn't <laughs> repent. Yeah. Well, if I'm I'm just going to be callous uh, for a moment. What one of the things about this is it's beyond reason. Like the people who are most likely to die as a result of this stupidity is the elderly. And the elderly breaks uh, largely conservative. Yeah. Yeah, right. So so the the people most likely to be putting their fate into the hands of our our large sponge of a president um are also the most at risk of you know him bungling it yeah yeah and i I mean i I don't want this to come out the wrong way i think we should save them but it's just sort of incredible how how little concern he has for his own constituents like he probably it's probably never occurred to him why would he think this out i've been yeah i've been kind of curious about that because i've been watching some of the uh as the you know, as as the coronavirus starts to kind of uh, like take hold in some other countries, um, it's also definitely taken hold in the imagination of the of the public. And so you've got these various uh, conspiracy theories that are coming around that it was, uh, you know, this is because Chinese people all eat bats, um, which I don't think is true. I mean, maybe maybe like some yes. people eat bats, but it's probably not like a super widespread practice. Um, the, it only takes one. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the the big one that I've seen lately is that uh, this was this was developed in a lab, you know, and and it escaped, um, which is literally the plot of Stephen King's The Stand. Um, so I'm not sure how much weight I want to like exactly put on that. Yeah, I think Steve Bannon said that, and he does bear uh, an uncanny resemblance to Randall Flagg, so I am a little bit concerned about that one, to be honest. He also bears an uncanny resemblance to somebody who's just died from the coronavirus. (laughs) He's a secret lich, that's for sure. Steve Bannon would make such a great Randall Flagg, though. He'd have to learn how to smile Uh, more. Rush Limbaugh was saying on his show that uh, the coronavirus is actually just the common cold and they're just scaremongering for no reason. So I look forward to him uh, <laughs> That's helpful. drinking a beaker of coronavirus to, to prove the, the health and safety. <laughs> Follow up question. Are you saying you watch Rush Limbaugh's show? No, I watch uh, the tweets about it. That's what I watch. Uh, oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was although I was like, OK, th- this is now an intervention, you know, Matt, Matt used to Matt used to listen to him. He handed. He, he, he was doing oppo I, nonstop. I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like Rush as much, but yes, I did used to listen to all of the the AM talk radio. Um, you know, Papa Bear, Sean Hannity, uh, Glenn Beck back when he was uh, still on there. Laura, Laura Ingram Wilder, you know. <laughs> little all right house on the prairie was, was the name of her show. I think. Right. Yeah, no, I, I never really got into Rush, but I mean that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I mean Rush, Rush is dealing with diseases of his own uh, right now, so he's probably just kind of casting around for somebody to blame. Well, and they just play the same fucking song over and over. The the conspiracy talking on on both the left and the right about the the coronavirus and uh, about Trump, uh, it really obviously not really giving a shit about this at all, other than he just wants it to go away 
and so that he could just, I don't know, go back to making fun of Mike Bloomberg's height or something like that instead of having to listen to all these boring meetings about quarantine protocols or whatever. I've got to imagine, though, that that one of the main reasons and Brendan, you've got a little more insight uh, into this than than either of us do. Uh, one of the main reasons he wants it to go away is because it is not doing any favors to his record breaking like Dow Industrial Average. Yeah, that's not been going great lately. It does seem to be coronavirus related because uh, people ha- kind of thought it would be done by now. And it it seems like it's actually not only is it not done, but it's actually getting substantially worse. Yeah, it's I- accelerating. Um, about right. a month ago, uh, the Trump administration said, don't go to China and everybody who's in China that's American should like leave immediately. And that was a month ago. And they haven't said like, oh, it's fine now. And so all these people who are like, oh, you know, like Microsoft came out today and said, like, our sales are going to be shitty because like we can't go to China and be like, you guys buy Windows or whatever. Like we, we can't go like sell a computer to a Chinese factory or whatever. So now, you know, we're going to lose money. Apple said they were going to lose money. It's it's actually like having more impact than than people thought it would. And it just reveals like how tenuous the entire thing was, where it just takes like one thing to be like, oh, that actually might not be a good sign. And just the house of cards just begins collapsing. It's it's pretty frightening. Yeah. And you've got to wonder, too, you know, how how long is it before Knowing House of Cards is exactly the right uh, metaphor for this, right? Because a lot of cards in that house are also like debt obligations that prop up other debt obligations, right? And all of those theoretically are founded on like payments that are going to be made for actual services at some point. So at what point does like a missed shipment of iPhones or something result in somebody not being able to make their... Uh, their overnight paper payment, which throws somebody else's bond issue into question, and then everybody starts to panic, and the entire thing starts to crumble from one corner. Well, I'd, I'd say it's even worse than that, because just the perception of it happening, which is what we have now, is enough to trigger that landslide. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right about that. I think we're going to circle back around in the next segment to talking about um, some of the, the Democratic primary debate. While we're on this topic, one thing that really struck me last night was that uh, was was just the sheer number of questions that revolved around uh, the coronavirus and and the ability, uh, you know, what would you do if you were if you were president right now? What would you be doing? And uh, I, I bring this up not necessarily because any of the uh, particular candidates answers were were that interesting. Uh, but rather because it highlighted in what a sorry state we're in when it comes to like addressing these things that, that if we, if we were living in a country where we actually had a robust social safety net, if we had some of these progressive policies that, uh, Bernie Sanders, certainly Liz Warren to a slightly lesser extent and, and kind of going down the scale from there, um, actually wanted to put in place how much better prepared we would be for a big epidemic like this, right? Because right now we're in a situation where if they start telling people like, just don't go to work, you can't go to work for three weeks. I mean, that's what's that going to do to the market? What's, what's that going to do to, to real people's lives? Right. 
Uh, people are not going to be able to make rent or pay their fucking insurance premiums. Um, not that insurance is necessarily going to be taking care of this. We, we, uh, saw the, the guy out of Florida who, you know, he came back from China. He had some symptoms. So he checked himself in. It turned out just to be the flu, but now he's getting whacked with like a $4,000 emergency room bill for doing the right thing. Right. You know, it's going to be so much worse when, when this actually is, you know, when it really makes landfall in the United States and you've got people who are balancing, like, can I afford to take fucking three weeks off work? You know, you have people going to the, you know, single parents going to their job at, uh, like, TGI Fridays or something, you know, showing a little bit of symptoms and boom, like, there's your, there's your epicenter of an outbreak right there. Yeah, it doesn't take much. There's no mandated sick leave or anything like that. And so, um, you know, you could call up and be like, hey, I think I have coronavirus. I can't work at the Burger King this weekend or whatever. And then they just say, well, show up or you're fired. Right. And then you go like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go give everyone coronavirus because what else? <laughs> what else can I do? Yeah, exactly right. My My landlord is not giving me a pass on my rent this month because I'm trying to, you know, keep this thing from becoming a... a, a fully blown epidemic one of the things that people always talk about too is like oh you want to give health care to illegal immigrants you want to give health care to illegals where it's like yeah you know what like if someone shows up here and they have the coronavirus i don't really give a shit what their citizenship status is like i want them to be able to feel like that they can go get treated and not just be like Oh, the American healthcare system is so fucked up. I'm just gonna not do that, and instead right. just you know infect more people instead of going and getting treated because the healthcare system is such a shambles. So I would much prefer that they get treated because if they show up at the emergency room or whatever, you're still paying for it either way, and you've just created a worse situation. There's there's literally no benefit to it at all yeah what's terrifying about that is that you know the the conservatives would just say like well that's why we need to like build a wall and put all these people <laughs> into like coronavirus and tuberculosis camps but, or whatever but what if the but, coronavirus was coming from inside the house well there one of the things that i keep thinking about in relationship to this is that government programs specifically the cdc have been slashed for years coming up to this point. So there's there's all sorts of infrastructure that we normally have to prevent a pandemic, to do all these things, and that's all gone. And what do we get out of it? Captain Trips. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and that actually did come up at the debate last night was, you know, the extent to which the Trump administration in particular has just gutted all of the infrastructure that we had in place under previous administrations for dealing with this kind of thing. Like, we had a pandemic specialist, like a czar, at one point. That's not a position that's filled at the moment. Uh, it seems like a thing that they probably should have kept around. Right. It's one of those, like, break glass in case of pandemic sort of things. You know, you hope that this person doesn't have to do that job, but it's nice to have the... It's nice to have the system in place in case it comes around. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like a seatbelt. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, they cost so much to uh, put yeah, in cars. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, like, your seatbelt doesn't matter until you hit something, and then it matters a great deal. Well, you know, maybe next debate we can just have all of the candidates play Pandemic and see who does the best. 
<laughs> and maybe that's how we make our decision. I mean, I feel like it would probably be a better display of their capabilities as a leader versus whatever the fuck was going on in the previous debate. <laughs> I, I propose a, a small amendment to this. Bernie would skip this as he he often does these these sort of press events. Get all of the other candidates in there playing pandemic the board game. And then give them all coronavirus. <laughs> I I would also like Buttigieg to have to sit next to Klobuchar to make sure he doesn't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's peeking at the at the pandemic deck or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, very shady, very shady. Well, fellas, I think uh, I think that's about as much disease talk as I can handle uh, for one episode. So let's take a little break there. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other disease that's infecting the American populace right now, which is, uh, you know, our, our society. The disease of partisanship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Unity, folks. <laughs> it was the flu pandemic, and it swept the whole world wide. It caught soldiers and civilians, and they died, died, died. Whether lying in the trenches or lying in their beds, 20 million of them got it, and they're dead. There was a soldier on the battleground in 1917. He turned there to his buddy with his face a ghastly green. He said, We made a bow through Passchendaele, the storm and Flanders. But now my number's up, my lad, for I've gone and caught the flu It was the flu pandemic, and it swept the whole world wide It caught soldiers and civilians, and they died, died, died Whether lying in the trenches, or lying in their beds Twenty million of them got it, and they're dead, dead, dead Before we jump back into national politics, uh, of which we have a, a a great deal to discuss, I think uh, I did want to mention this uh, piece of news out of Nebraska. Um, that we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, so it was yesterday that the Nebraska unicameral passed out of committee a bill uh, sponsored by the, the main sponsor being um, Megan Hunt and also co-sponsored by our boy Ernie Chambers uh, to allow for Nebraska college athletes to be paid for their uh, name, likeness, um, you know, the, all of the things that by all rates are, are their property. And the NCAA has said for a long time, no, you can't get paid for that. Um, this, this follows on the heels of, uh, a California bill from last month that allows the same thing. And, and I think we're starting to see, we're starting to see the dominoes fall on this issue. And it's, it's a uh, pretty cool that Nebraska is, going to be you know one of the early dominoes in that series yeah it passed with like some pretty uh significant numbers as well yeah i've got it here uh the the vote was uh 36 in favor four against um and eight present and not voting yeah Um, i mean that's that's a pretty you know i would have thought that more people would uh i don't know i guess is this not like a partisan issue yet it it seems like one yeah. of those things that Republicans would just reflexively be opposed to, but uh, uh, apparently in Nebraska they I could see them I could see them being reflexively opposed to it for certain reasons, and also very much in favor for, of it for other reasons. Like I mean, they <laughs> yeah. they they're they're doing a party of contrast. They're they're doing a, yeah. <laughs> in conclusion, the Republicans are a land of contrast. Yep. Um, no, I, I mean, I could see Republicans being in favor of this because, you know, they want people to be able to 
like pay their own way, you know, based on work that they actually did, or at least nominally, that's that's what they care about. Yeah, um, some of it I think is just just optics. Yeah, you know, like yeah. like a, like on one level, nobody wants to say uh, screw the basketball team. So uh, I mean, right. I, yeah, but but I, I I think I think you're also right. You could certainly frame this issue as as a as a Republican one. Like, you know, right. you get paid for your for your work, right? Like, isn't that a thing that they support? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's sort of the basic like reward the most successful has 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 been the deal for a long time. So, I, I mean, I see that argument. You know, th- this is really weird because I think you both are drinking the same ba- brand of beer. And periodically when you reach for it, it looks like you're <laughs> passing it back and forth. <laughs> no, that's how it that's how it works. Yeah. We have a whole Skype sharing yeah, right. uh, thing set up. Yeah. No, it's that uh, Rise of Skywalker, like, force connection thing. You know? <laughs> We're a we're a duopoly or whatever. Yeah, the fuck yeah, that's that right. was. Uh, yeah. A force dyad, I, I think. Was, yeah, yeah that's exactly. One of the only things I remember from that movie. Well, anyway, I didn't want to take up too much time with that with that story, but I did think it was kind of cool for Nebraska, you know, for for once to kind of be, I don't know, helping to lead the charge on this thing that I think of as being a a pretty no nonsense, uh, common sense, progressive sort of thing to do. So. And it is definitely one of the cool things about the Nebraska legislature when it works as it's intended because it's the only nonpartisan legislature in the country. Um, the the Nebraska Unicam, right. where uh, no candidate uh, has a party affiliation. Uh, when you go on the ballot, there's no party affiliation and stuff. Uh, when they vote, they don't vote. Uh, um, you know, it's not like Republicans versus Democrats, who has control type of thing. It's a totally different system. And Every once in a while, uh, it actually can produce some surprising results yeah. where uh, if you take some of the partisanship out, uh, it actually does allow people to work together for for common goals. Yeah. Well, you know, while we're on the topic of working together for common goals, uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about something that's not that. Uh, so, so, Pete, you were telling me uh, yesterday that... You actually hosted a, a very good friend of our show, um, uh, Ghost Wife, uh, our, our old friend Melly, uh, in your house for the uh, Nevada caucuses and, and canvassing thereof. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Melly was uh, – did I just out her? Do we need to bleep that out? No, uh, no. No, I, no, everybody, no. Everybody who listens Fully to our show open. knows that Melly is named Melly. It's okay. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I did it! I've got to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she uh, she uh, stayed at my house for about a week, uh, which which basically trans translated to me hearing uh, strange noises when she came in and out at odd hours, which was sure. totally fine. Uh, but yeah, she uh, she was a machine. Like she was out there, uh, like canvassing every day, going to the rallies. Uh, phone banking, everything she could to really move the ball forward. I uh, and, and during... it wasn't it wasn't just her either because uh, I, I think with her was also um, Carrie, who we have not had on the show, but she is the uh, the wife fiance of our friend Shane, who has yes. been on the show several times. Right? Yeah, she she also stayed here, and uh, so like th- it not, was... not to leave not to leave Carrie out of the discussion. Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, they, it was it was uh, it was great having them both out here. It was um, I did volunteer caucus day. Uh, I think I'd have been too embarrassed not to with both of them coming all, all the way out here to 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 help out. Yeah, but um, it was uh, it was really inspiring to have like two people I knew of online, like not not only you know go out here, but just to be able to enable that a little bit. It was pretty cool. Hell yeah. Uh, well, too bad it didn't result in anything good. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, I was burning a candle for Clove, and it just didn't go down. I don't know what to say. Yeah. 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 Uh, press, press F to pay respects for, uh, for Tom Steyer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Uh, you know, if if you listen to the show, I'm sure that you saw the uh, Nevada returns. Um, our boy Bernie. Ended up with, uh, I, I think the final count was somewhere around like forty-seven percent of the of the delegates, with the the rest of them split up, um, split up more or less evenly, which meant everybody had way way less than that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the only one person who went above the fifteen percent minimum for something to count was Biden, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just it was a shellacking. Uh huh. Yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, I was uh, I was following those returns at home and, you know, everybody was uh, uh, certainly every Bernie fan was waiting with bated breath. Right. Because uh, Iowa ended up being such a clusterfuck. Um, New Hampshire wasn't quite the blowout. It was it was good for Bernie, but not quite the blowout we were looking for. And then as these early returns started coming back in, it was like this these results can't be real, right? Like, this is what yeah. we've been hoping for. Like, everybody, you know, I think uh, part of being a, a leftist, especially a very online leftist, is being fairly pessimistic about this system at this point. So when, like, good news comes along, you almost can't believe it. Yeah, there is a... Um, this this country is really weird, as you know. Uh, like, uh, conservatives... And, you know, like... Hey, it's the greatest country on Earth. How dare you, sir? USA. <laughs> USA. The, the, the right is very, very good at incremental change. I mean, it's like we are, we are frogs in a pot of boiling water. You know, they're just like slowly turning the heat up. And from yeah. day to day, you don't really notice what's going on. And Bernie and the changes that are happening right now are dramatic change like none of this incremental shit we're flipping over the game board yeah and i think i mean things have come to such a pass that i think that is the only solution i know i'm not convincing you guys like i i <laughs> i have listened to your show but uh <laughs> but it's it's just an amazing thing to see somebody step up and say like it has to happen now and to see the country respond it's so amazing to me. It's like I was um, I was perfectly prepared to be like ironic and bitter on Twitter until the lights went out. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I was uh, I was having a conversation with a friend about that earlier tonight. About um, and and I'm gonna blend a couple of topics here because I also watched the the debates last night. And one of the things that you kept hearing in the debates from the more the more moderate centrist, uh, you know, the the Pete's Buttigieg and the Amy's Klobuchar um, <laughs> was uh, that that, you know, America doesn't want a big radical change. They don't want revolution. They kept using the word revolutionary. They kept using the word radical. 
you know, the 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 consensus sort of uh, like common wisdom among like the consultant class is like, that's not what America wants. But I'm not sure that I mean, certainly the current polling data isn't bearing them out on that. And in fact, the 2016 election didn't bear them out on that either. Right. You had you had a more or less centrist, you know, let's let's kind of maintain the status quo and kind of gradually uh, improve it. And then you had somebody who, like you like you put it, Pete, wanted to come in and flip the game board over. And who ended up winning that one? It was the person who wanted to flip the game board. Now, he, you know, Trump obviously didn't do that. He was using this sort of populist rhetoric in a very cynical way um, to to kind of rile people up. And but that's what motivated people to get out and vote. Right. And that's what we're yeah. seeing in the polling now about Bernie, except I, you know, I, I think you'd have to be deeply cynical to look at somebody who has like a 40 year track record of saying literally the same thing over and over and then think like once he's elected, he's not going to do that thing or not try to do that thing. I OK, I'm being a little bit too online at the moment when I say that. But if it turns out like he's just been like screwing around for 40 years and he gets in there and he has no intention of doing these things, I'm not even mad. Yeah, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that's such an impressive feat, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it, it is funny because even even if he is faking it and it's just some sort of like strategic play to be like, well, I'll ask for Medicare for all, and then maybe I'll get, you know, a public, a option, public option or something in like the ACA that. Or something, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, if it's all been like a long gamesmanship con, like you know what like that works too right like as long as you're you're getting something because historically what's happened is you know you like obama came and you know with a pre-compromised position uh for health care and then republicans compromised it down to even less yeah kept and kept so bargaining just, away like even his compromised position right so either way uh i think you're making out ahead but uh yeah, Nevada was it was it was amazing to see. Um, it was kind of funny to to watch some of the 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 media spin and stuff uh, where you know it was like, well, everyone knew Bernie was going to win, so that's not the real <laughs> right. story. Um, but uh, I think South Carolina is is this weekend, and that they've been saying is like that's the Biden state. You know, Biden's going to crush it there. So. Um, it's been uh, a little bit of volatility. Biden's been doing really, really terrible uh, in all the polls and stuff. And then now he's been doing a little bit better. He's getting all kinds of endorsements and stuff. So I think this is going to be a really interesting outcome to see, you know, it does Biden win by how much um, if Sanders wins, that would be absolutely. I mean, that would be incredible. A clue. That's, that's pretty much the ball that, game at that point. That is right? it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like if the, if the election is close, uh, I also feel like that is uh, – it's not a great sign for Biden if he's not absolutely crushing it in the state that he's been saying he's been the strongest in for, for months right. now. Right. Well, and everybody's been saying that he's the strongest in that state because Biden does – you know, he comes into it with the, with the strongest black support, especially like, like black people in the South um, – but, you know, I, I don't know if either of you watched the absolute dog and pony show that was the debate last night, um, but the like the post debate polling that they were showing still had Bernie Sanders coming out the most favorable among viewers. Uh, I, I don't know if that 
accounted just for I, I, I didn't see any polls that were specifically for South Carolina voters, but I know that, you know, like the national perspective of how he performed, it was like, you know, Bernie Sanders at the top favorability with like 45 percent. And then, you know, Biden was at like 30 something or whatever. And then again, going going down the chain. Well, judging by the I was just going to say, judging by the applause, I assumed that it would have been Bloomberg. Right. Yeah. (laughs) What a mess. Yeah. I mean, we've got to talk about that for a minute. Right. It's that. You know, it, it turns out that the the tickets to these debates cost anywhere between like fifteen hundred and like thirty five hundred dollars. Which who in the hell is paying that and why? <laughs> why? That just seems like the worst experience that you could possibly put yourself through. Yeah. I don't know. It's like like Super Bowl. I can barely watch it on TV. Yeah, like Super Bowl for people who aren't into sports or something. I mean, people pay way more than that for for you know, game tickets. I was thinking it's like maybe when you call an escort service to have somebody walk across your back in high heels, that might be the sort of... Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it was a mess yeah. watching it last That's night. Like that like more than Hamilton tickets. <laughs> right. you're, you're not getting as good of a show. <laughs> yeah, you had, uh, you had moments where Mike Bloomberg was saying just like whatever not even like not even like a really good applause line and you had you know the first three rows you know erupting in you know like hoots and hollers and you know standing ovations and stuff uh it it does start to look a little weird and then like bernie sanders would say something that was appealing i think to most americans and you'd hear some boos and then from like way in the back like the nosebleed seats you'd hear people cheering yeah it's uh, the deck did feel stacked, and honestly, I think that is to Sanders' long-term benefit because the cynicism is so high in this country is that they – what like, don't these people realize we're watching them? Right. Well, and, and by the end of it, I mean, even – I mean, even if we went with the, like, absolutely the most – you know, outrageous, uh, like, conspiracy theory about this, that Mike Bloomberg bought – tickets for three quarters of the audience and sent them there and also gave them like enough money to like go to dinner beforehand it's a dollar per clap right by by the end of the debate bernie sanders was still getting more applause than anybody else on the stage right like when he when he went really hard on his position on uh like israel policy um, as he, as he continued to drum on some of his, you know, old standbys, his, you know, like real solid policy planks, healthcare, uh, pre-K education, that kind of thing. Like he did seem to kind of warm up the room as the thing went along. So that was kind of encouraging yep. too. Yeah. I only watch clips after the fact. And, um, I was wondering if I could take a moment and talk to you guys about that. Cause I, I you're, yeah. you're not, you're not my minister, but I am feeling guilty. <laughs> um, I'm, I am getting some serious election fatigue. Like I'm, I'm giving money. Um, I've been volunteering where I can. I am doing these things, but like I am maxed out with these assholes. Like I do not want to see any of them talk anymore. I'm even getting a little weary of Sanders, even though I'm a huge fan of him, just because, like, how long has this been going on? Right. Well, in the debates, too, it's like, 
it's almost the worst format. You know, people are saying, uh, you know, think they're talking over each other. They're they're fake. Uh, sparring where no one's really saying anything. Uh, you know, the answers aren't even answers. They just pivot to pre-prepared talking points right. and stuff like that. So it does make me wonder, like, who, who even is the intended audience for these debates? Because I don't think it benefits people who are politically engaged to watch them. And if you're not politically engaged and you watch them, I feel like you're almost coming away with a worse you know, impression of like what these people are and like what they stand for, because there's rarely anything substantively discussed. It's just like attacks and, you know, applause lines and stuff like this. So it does really make me question, like, what is the purpose of this whole pageantry of the the quote unquote debate where they're not even fucking debates? They're just you take turns grandstanding. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, all of the different people in the kind of the pundit class, the consultant class, the the inside the beltway, like Chatterati, um, talking about how the West Wing is like their favorite TV show ever. Right. And all of these people are the ones who are behind this pageant. Right. Because I think that in their at least in their public personas they really believe that you know you put everybody on a stage like the best argument's going to win out you know but i i think that i think pete has his his finger on the pulse of most of america which is this whole thing just goes on too fucking long i mean we've had we've had people on the campaign trail we've had speculations about who was going to throw their hat into the ring going back to like literally 2016 at this point. So yeah. we've had we had four years at this point of people campaigning to be the next president. And yeah, right. it is exhausting. Well, and you get people like Bloomberg who say like, hey, I'm going to cheat and just uh, jump in at the end. <laughs> right. And then people oh. will be like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, I, I'm re I'm re-energized now because there's a new, you know, what a twist. Yeah. You know, that kind of shit. He, he's it's running, it's ripe for manipulation. He's running for president in God mode. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's using the the infinite money hack. It's not it's not fair. It turns out the game genie for uh, political elections is actually just money, and yeah, if you, and you spend enough of it, a lot of people just won't even mention it. Yeah, it's like the Bloomberg the power glove, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. The thing that I was reading is that up, up, he's down, buying down, left, right, left, right, B A, spend a billion dollars. <laughs> He's buying so many ads in like local television markets and stuff that uh, – and he's just spending so much money that, uh, you know, candidates who don't have as much money, you know, like Amy Klobuchar or something like that will go and try to buy ads and they'll be like, well, uh, actually all our ads – because our ad buys are uh, so sky high, like all these rates like went way up right. because they're selling so fast because – we just sold them all to Michael Bloomberg because he just said, give me all the ads that you possibly yeah, can. Yeah, um, Well, and he's so, doing the, yeah, he's it, doing the it, same disgusting. thing when it comes to uh, to staffers also. He's he's offering so yeah. much money for people to come and work on his campaign and just be like the most utterly reviled person in Ann Arbor, Michigan for like six months for fucking like $100,000. Like nobody – Nobody who's running for state office or, you know, possibly local office 
has anybody who has any kind of qualifications that they can hire to, you know, so <laughs> like Mike Bloomberg is actively hurting. It, you have these people saying like, oh, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, we're going to lose down ballot. And it's like, no, we're going to lose down ballot because none of the other fucking candidates down ballot can hire any staffers because Mike Bloomberg sucked them all up into his giant fucking money vacuum. And you know what the best part is? He's so going to lose, man. Oh, it's God. It's so glorious. Oh, it's awful. People fucking hate him. I mean, he's oh. been running He's been running ads constantly here in Texas for the past, like, six months. And when I talk to people, when I go out, you know, to the bars and stuff and it gets into politics, everybody fucking detests him. I have not met a single person <laughs> who thinks that he actually should be president. In fact, there, I mean, a, a microcosm of the sort of fatigue that you were talking about, Pete, they're just sick of hearing his name. They're sick of seeing his fucking ads. Yeah. He has he has two advantages as a candidate. One, he's got the infinite money pile. And two, you can't make fun of him. Like, you can't imitate him in any way without sounding racist. Oh, like, right. those are his, <laughs> <laughs> That's all he has. It even came up on last week's episode that he's impossible to impersonate because he has just such a i i don't know just sort of like an anodyne <laughs> new york accent that if you tried to impersonate him yeah like you say you're you're gonna you come off sound as like a uh you're you're being racist against jews or uh <laughs> like like fucking like new york guidos or something <laughs> i i have occasionally done michael bloomberg at the mirror trying to make it work and i yeah. can't i no. just cringe there's nothing there there's, I mean, you can't impersonate him, and and that is that is such a, a metaphor for how little substance there is to his fucking campaign. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a, a, a unique and you know unquantifiable anti charisma, right? Uh, that's really hard to tap into. <laughs> well, fellas, I think that's I think that's about it for uh, for for national politics. We're gonna. I think it is time for us to take a little break, and when we come back, we will be. Um, bringing it up out of this uh, this morass of politics and coronavirus and hopefully taking you out on a high note. We'll be back. You've also called yourself an existential threat to the Democratic establishment. I guess that includes House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> Democrats in the House and the Senate. Uh, don't you need their support to win in November? One of the big pitches that Vice President Biden was just making is that he can help make sure the Democrats hold on to the House, take back the Senate, and that you're going to be a burden for House Democrats and t de Democratic Senate candidates come November. That's absolutely untrue. You know, the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, a group called Third Way, attacked me and they said we are an existential I'm an existential threat to the Democratic Party and what I said is yeah I'm an existential threat to the corporate wing of the Democratic Party for too long the Democratic Party and leaders have been going to rich people's homes raising money and they've ignored the working class and the middle class and low-income people in this country that has got to change we got to open the doors of the Democratic Party to millions and millions of people who are trying to get by on 12, 13 bucks an hour, who can't afford health care, can't afford child care, who can't afford to send their kids to college. Those are the people we have to start paying attention to. I've known Nancy Pelosi for a very long time. I'm part of the Democratic leadership of the United States Senate with Chuck Schumer. It is my view that every Democratic candidate for president, no matter who wins this nominating process, clearly I hope it's me, we're going to come together because we all understand that Donald Trump is the greatest threat 
to this country in the modern history of this country, that he's a fraud, that he's a liar, that he's undermining American democracy. We're going to have Democrats coming together, but the trick is, which candidate can reach out and bring new people into the political process who can create the excitement and the energy for young people to come in? I think that's our campaign. So yeah, the high note this week, uh, I, I struggled to think of one. One today that did definitely get a smile out of me is as I was commuting into work listening to NPR, as I do occasionally, not as much as I used to, but... Mostly podcasts in the car? Pretty much all podcasts, but every once in a while I, I pop on NPR just to see you know, especially when there is big news happening, just so I can see what the news is talking about and if they have an interesting guest on. Look at fucking Mr. Moneybags over here who has a car that can actually play something that's not just the radio. Well, no, I listen to it on headphones, which I guess oh, God. people tell me that I shouldn't do that because <laughs> of safety or something. That. But <laughs> no, I definitely uh, I definitely just pop the headphones in and just, uh, just yeah. go nuts out there. <laughs> and then you turn the car off and, it, and you don't even have to unplug anything. It's great. Uh, it's great. Everybody should do it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Safety first, everyone. I was uh, delighted to, uh, during uh, one of the NPR ad breaks, the local NPR host was talking about a, uh, a local fundraiser, and he had to say the phrase LGTBQIA2S+. <laughs> Which oh, I found that's, yeah, that's a lot. was absolutely incredible. <laughs> I had never heard anybody say that out loud uh it was clear that now did he did he stumble through it it was not perfect i don't know that you can do that perfectly it is definitely uh, a, ch- a challenging phrase to uh enunciate right he should have said it as a word like ubiquitous you know like that would have been amazing <laughs> that was amazing you know i never thought that i would see the day where that was happening and and that is probably the most inclusive term that you could you could possibly utter yeah, it, it was incredible. Uh, it was an incredible experience. Well, because like, because uh, like two S, that's that's the one that, that like certain uh, like indigenous populations use, where they've got a like a different designation for a gender, where it's like a blended gender or something. Like that's not that's not one that like even most of the the wokest discussion that you can find online is ever using it was so woke i had to look it up and i had heard the term two souls before which is like uh, a historically used indigenous term where like native american tribes would say oh this person is like a a two-souled person where they have kind of you know elements of of both genders within their their personality um and so it's not necessarily the same as like what a modern conception of of a trans identity would be and so they yeah. added that non-binary in. or something yeah right as as an as another you know nod to just like hey this is an inclusive uh you know term we're, we're including indigenous people in this in this as well but yeah i, I thought that was uh that was absolutely amazing and it, it definitely brought a smile to my face yeah. to to hear someone say that out loud i'm hoping that uh trump says it oh wow because um, <laughs> oh, he's, the, he's the, the greatest uh, gay rights president of, of, of oh, all time man. according to him so i would love for him to just name what all of the acronyms uh stood for in that someone should uh just do a little pop quiz oh, did you guys see him uh in india um calling out like yeah. various uh like cricket players namaste namaste And hello to India. It is a profound honor to be the beautiful new stadium to be here with you. Motera Stadium, so beautiful. 
as the great religious teacher Swami Vive Kamunand once said. <laughs> this is the country where your people cheer on some of the world's greatest cricket players from Suchin Tendulkar to Virat Kohli. <laughs> trying to pronounce, the, trying, trying to pronounce the, the, like Indian the Indian names. Like cricket no. players. Oh, it's so fucking funny. God, I, you know, I was, uh, in 2014, I was in India on and off for about seven months. I, I, I hope it's okay. I'm just telling a random-ass story right now. Sure. Oh, please. Yeah. Okay, so, like, because the time zones are different, it's like it's like 3 a.m., and I'm wandering out across to, to go to a tea shop, and I walk by this donkey, and this donkey gets a whiff of me and goes, and, like, comes <laughs> straight at me with murder oh, no. in its eyes. Oh, shit. So I dive under this banana cart. R- random creature encounter. Oh, yeah. And this donkey just starts beating the shit out of this banana cart, trying to destroy it to get at me. Whoa. And, like, the cops showed up, and it, it was... I. The food and everything I ate was different, so I smelled bad to the donkey. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I just, like, I really want him to encounter a donkey. I, I'll tell yeah. you, man, because if they did that to me, imagine what Cheeseburger Boy would do. Trampled by a donkey is absolutely the funniest way that I can think of for Donald Trump to die in office. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yeah, apparently he was having some uh, some troubles because he was meeting with Indian Prime Minister Modi, who is a ultra far right Hindu nationalist. Right. They obviously were feeding only strict Hindu vegetarian meals, where Trump was just refusing to eat them oh, no. uh, apparently. <laughs> and so uh, I think he was a, a little bit a little bit grumpy uh, after the trip. Oh my God! Did did he tell me that he asked for a hamburger? Oh, he probably did many many times. There was also that amazing report where. Uh, his his old pal uh, Ronnie Jackson, the former doctor who he tried to nominate oh, as yeah, like yeah, head right. of Veterans Affairs until he resigned, Doctor Doctor Pills or whatever his name. Yeah, was. he yeah. revealed in an interview that uh, Trump's uh, he was so concerned about Trump's health that he ordered the staff to secretly try to like subtly replace vegetables in his meals so his mashed potatoes would actually be like half mashed potatoes half cauliflower they're doing the fucking thing jerry seinfeld's wife wrote that cookbook for kids where it was yeah. like here's how you trick your kids into eating vegetables and it's like make your brownies with black beans instead of oils or one thousand percent that's this that's the shit that they were doing for trump because they told him like you should eat a vegetable and he was like fuck you no i'm never gonna do it and so they were like no way. Put the vegetables underneath the pepperoni. Every pepperoni has a carrot underneath it. He Maybe he won't notice. Oh, my God. That's amazing. If the future of America and mankind weren't <laughs> on the line, I would love that guy. Oh, I yeah. love our wet brain president. Oh, he's hilarious. Like he's, he's, he's certainly the funniest guy on Twitter. I mean, screw drill. Oh, yeah. I mean, that consistently cracks me up with this bizarro God. bullshit. Yep. There was a... Some Fox News host was tweeting this morning and he was like, I love Trump, but uh, if I had to choose a Democrat, like I would go with Pete Buttigieg. She seems like he's a smart guy or whatever. And Trump was like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Pete, <laughs> Mayor Pete's got the, got the fucking Trump endorsement at this point, <laughs> which is absolutely a thing that all of the other candidates should be running with right now. Yeah, that's there's yeah. going to be like uh, attack ads uh, any moment now saying like... You know, Mayor Pete was endorsed by Donald <laughs> Trump. Is this who you want running the country? Yeah. 
Maybe he did it on purpose. <laughs> I'm going to go next. Uh, I've got a... It's, it's near and dear to my heart because uh, I'm, I'm well known as a, a friend of the bee people. Minnesota is going to start offering tax incentives for homeowners who replace their lawns with wildflowers, clovers, um, pretty much any plant that actually like helps maintain bee populations. Wait a minute. I can stop mowing my lawn and get paid? Shit. If you live in Minnesota. This is a game changer. Yep, absolutely. Or Las Vegas. Oh, oh, do they do that in Las Vegas also? In Las Vegas, they'll pay you like uh, 10 bucks a square foot to yank your lawn out and replace it with rocks. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, so like, xeriscaping is one thing. Xeriscaping at least adheres to kind of uh, like HOA principles of as you drive by, it still looks nice. You know, Minnesota is paying people to turn their lawns back into prairie, which I think is just gorgeous. You know, the the idea, I think prairies are gorgeous also. But I love the idea of like, you know, now you can just, yeah, go out there, like buy some of those, uh, those seed bombs that you can occasionally buy in the grocery store, you know, just like, Throw some local wildflowers, get some dandelion seeds in there, get some clover growing, you know, maybe get a goat to come around and like chomp them down every once in a while and and shit on yourself. Like anything that we can be doing for our pollinators right now is it's just more that you can do to be staving off the eventual like eco-apocalypse that we're that we're staring down right now so big ups to minnesota for you know making this you know a a a thing that people are going to be able to take advantage of it'll help with people's house payments sure but also like maybe it'll keep all of our food crops alive that's that's a that's a high note that's awesome i I love that because uh, i remember a few years ago and I, i think it's still the situation in florida where it's like a law that you can't have a vegetable garden in your front yard because it's like a blighted uh right right, i don't don't even know it's like some homeowners association bullshit yeah and that's and that's true for most people who live under an hoa your you know your front lawn has always got to be just like monoculture like they even pick like which species of shitty grass that you can plant out there yeah so i think uh Uh, anything to change those laws to make it so that people have uh the ability to not do a shitty lawn that's just wasteful and useless uh i think is awesome i've got to give a shout out to our avid listener and friend of me and brendan's Catherine floated me that that article and thought that it might be a a good bit for the show and i read it and went yep that's my high note this week so thank you Catherine. I, I do have a vision of kids playing football in the backyard and, and <clears throat> landing on a raccoon. <laughs> landing in a beehive. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's dangerous. <laughs> that's going to be the Republican attack ads for sure. <laughs> Liberal Democrats want your yard to be full of wild animals. <laughs> and deadly killer bees. Oh my God. What a world. Oh, so my turn? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I am not a person that likes to be in large groups. So, like, two or three people is great. You put me in the middle of a crowded movie theater and I start thinking about going to grab snacks. It's just not my thing. But this past Saturday, I got the chance to see uh, Nina Turner speak at a place called The Rebar, where they were celebrating Sanders' crushing victory. Yeah. It was the damnedest thing I ever saw in my life. I mean, she was, she was witty. She was 
uh, inclusive. She had sort of the fire of, of inspiration and belief in her. And she just reached out and she shook that crowd and got it energized. And more than anything, like my two takeaways from that is one, I want her to be, be VP. I mean, it would be, it would just be amazing how effective she is with that crowd and how much she believes in Sanders' vision. I am all about it. It's funny that you mentioned that speech because uh, an avid fan of the show and also a guy that uh, we'd like to bring on at some point named Tom Thompson, who's an, an activist, a democratic socialist out of Oklahoma, who also was at that party. And I wish I had known that you guys were there and I would have, you know, I would have sent him a text and say, like, look for look for this guy. Introduce yourself. That would have been awesome. I mean, it's, it's amazing that uh, this movement is bringing so many people together. And from I mean, you you live in. You live in Vegas, right? But so many of our friends, you know, Carrie came out from Philadelphia. Melly was up from wherever she lives in Wyoming. Tom out from Oklahoma, you know, uh, to, to supplement, not to overwrite your high note in any way, simply to supplement, to say that it really does seem like we've got a, a people's movement of people who are are willing to, you know, put in the extra mile, put in the extra expense, to make sure that they're where they need to be in order to get the results that we're looking for. Uh, and I think it's just tremendously encouraging. Hey, are you catching this guy overriding my hide note? I mean, what the hell? Yeah. Mods! <laughs> How dare you? Mods! Yeah, I, I'm all about redistributing the high notes to the audience. <laughs> I mean, I got to see AOC speak at a Bernie event in Iowa, and uh, it was amazing. The power that he has to attract all these like young, energetic people who really are the future of the of the Democratic Party. I, I think that's the most amazing thing to me is that you've got people like, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and all that, like trying to tamp down all this grassroots enthusiasm when it's like, hey, like that is those are the people who care the most. Yeah. And you should be doing everything you can to encourage these people and to get them to, you know, get their friends and family involved in politics. And so it's really amazing to me that Bernie has proved again and again that that is a successful strategy. Yeah. And to build on that, Brendan, um, by the time this episode comes out, we will be more or less within a week of Super Tuesday. So... For any of our listeners who want to see the results that this show wants to see, uh, for, for any of our listeners who would like to see um, the, the most exciting progressive challenger to the status quo uh, win, this is your week. This is when you really have to put in the work. So whatever you've been doing, I mean, this, this is your week to do more volunteering however you can make phone calls, text bank, if you can get out in your communities and canvas, um, or simply just drop a couple of bucks uh, to the Bernie Sanders guy. I, I think this is our official Bernie Sanders endorsement, but it's, it's, it's within a week, folks. Like, if Bernie can sweep Super Tuesday, then that's it. That's it. He will be the nominee and he will win against Donald Trump. So, this next week, it's going to be very important. So whatever you've been doing it, it, or or if you've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for your opportunity to do something, this is the time. So we, we really encourage you to get out there and, you know, like so many of our friends, so many of the people that we've had on the show, um, you know, commit to the thing, help out with the with the cause, 
you'll feel better and we will get the results that we're looking for that are <laughs> will make everybody's lives that much better. I mean, you say it's Super Tuesday. I say it's May 12th when the Nebraska Democratic primary occurs. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, that's, that's the real Super Tuesday. Whoever wins that is going to take it. That's my prediction. As goes Nebraska, so As goes Nebraska. the country. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We're the closer. Right. The clincher. <laughs> well, Pete Johansson, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on Liquid Flannel. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a real treat. Um, please feel free. This is, we're, we're in plug time now. So where can people find you? What, why else would they want to listen to you, Pete? Sure. Uh, I have a show called Podside Picnic that I do with, uh, Connor Southard. If, if you're a Twitter person, the basic idea is I'm a super fan of science fiction and he's a writer trying to learn more about it. And we dissect books together. We bring on authors and talk to them. And we've been doing it about a year. And I think it's really good. If you go out and you type Podside Picnic into anything, you'll be able to find us. And we do have a Patreon with extra episodes. It's an outstanding show. I've really been enjoying it. That's good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, we, we've had a banger month. Vampire Month has been good to us. Nice. <laughs> And uh, and you you yourself are on Twitter, right? Where can people find you personally? I'm Podside Pete mm -hmm. on Twitter. I don't know what to say about that. I I am there. I'm occasionally funny, uh, and <laughs> I I'm not a big name. You're a very good follow. It's it's been a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we connected through Twitter, and we got you on on Liquid Flannel. So I mean, sometimes social media does produce good results. Absolutely. <laughs> if you are enjoying this show, you can float us also a. a a measly dollar a month at our Patreon for uh, an extra episode every week. Um, usually we have our, our guests stick around. Not always, but it's always a fun time. So uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash liquid flannel pod. Uh, you can also follow the show uh, on our Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. And uh, if you like the hosts, Think that we're very handsome um you can you can follow us individually i'm matthew hodges i am on twitter at matt the great with the w and brendan who is considerably more handsome than i am i'm at brendan williams with one l he is being very handsome over there all the time so that's that's it for us folks um by the time we come back uh i hope that Everybody will have put in, you know, a couple of phone calls on behalf of the candidate of your choice. But you know who our candidate of choice is. Onwards to victory. Onwards to victory. Next next year in Washington, D.C., baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gunning for one of those uh, cabinet appointments. Cabinet chair of podcasts. Is that a... Is that a position? Yeah, maybe under the NEA. Podcast secretary. That's what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, totally. It. Right. Well, so I do have an announcement here. Um, I've just become a patron of Liquid Flat. What? Oh shit! Oh hey! That's how. We, yeah, that's how we get all our patrons. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.